We survived the weekend. And here we are, Monday morning, 8 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time. Stefan Maya with you, the early bird podcast sessions over here at the EditSouls.com studio. The Sermon Sunday. I share with you the sermon. Eh? Yeah. What's it called? The Improvident Repentant. That's interesting. What's going on there? Well, stick around and you'll find out. And by all means, like, share, comment, subscribe, follow, all those wonderful things. Allow the substance of the material being produced to uh, go further and farther. Reaching souls just like you and I who want to get together and study the Bible together. You know, learn. Learn the mysteries of life, the purpose of our existence through the Holy Word, the written God-breathed literature, penmanship of the Holy Spirit, all that kind of good stuff. You can support this work. If you go to the show notes, you'll have some options there. Uh, one of them is to freely sign up at addedsouls.locals.com, which is our freedom platform. And you can choose, if you are willing and able, to support there monthly for as low as $5 a month or for as much as you are willing and able to support. This keeps the Added Souls studio operational, and it uh, certainly supports the Maya family working for the gospel and all its wonderful fixings. So please consider doing that. You can support through a donation through PayPal, addedsouls at gmail.com. And if you need an address to mail something, by all means, reach out to me, addedsouls at gmail.com, and I'll give you the address. Isn't that cool? Speaking, of course, to my brothers and sisters in Christ, who are blessed with the opportunity to uh, support this wonderful stuff, this wonderful work, this gospel work. The Improvident Repentant. We're going to be looking into Luke chapter 15 and the commonly known story account of the prodigal son and what's taking place there with what Jesus was teaching the individuals of his day, in the context of his day. And there's some wonderful information there to be revealed. I'll put, of course, the text on the screen so you can see for yourself what is being read, what is being revealed in the scripture there. Let me see here. Are we live? Yeah, okay. Just wanted to make sure we were live there. Good stuff. All right, now a few scriptures to put on the screen here to get our minds grounded in the atmosphere of the context and how we must interpret the text and how the text allows a few perspectives to the information which would be practical to our lives today but there is always boundaries. We never want to step above and beyond the boundary of the context. But within the context, we have freedom of perspective, which allows application and growth in our faith, challenging us, of course, to uh, look inwardly and also to see and recognize our entourage, uh, our surroundings, right? And uh, recognizing what's taking place in the church through this information that Jesus would speak of. Now, God has always wanted humankind to be united under his love, his law, his guidance, his grace, his justice, his order, his patterns. He has always wanted mankind, created in his image, of course, to be united in that submission, righteous submission, not a tyrannical submission, which you would find with other religious worldviews or pagan or heathen endeavors, but through the, through the um, peace and understanding and compassion of uh, God's foresight, his wisdom, to have a people as one. I mean, that's the whole fulfilled um, desire of the Christ, our Lord and Master. But people have divided themselves, haven't they? And for ages, the division was the Hebrew house, the nation of Israel, the Jews. And 
the unbeliever, the foreigner, those who are afar off, the Gentiles, the heathens, the pagans. And God has never wanted that division to take place. He would have had all people under one. And of course, the Christ is the sole authority and source to bring all as one, no longer Jew or Gentile, but now Christian. It would not matter which geographical location you are found, which skin color you have, which language you speak, which religious background you may have once come from. You can now be one, united, love, in Christ. But when division has been apparent for so long, there is a great chasm created by the minds of men between the two people, the believer and the unbeliever. Uh, here in context, the Jew and the Gentile. And there is animosity, and there is all sorts of behavioral delinquencies, birth within the free will of mankind because of this division that had taken place for a long time. But Christ came, of course, to unite all who would seek to become legal citizens of his kingdom, to which he is now crowned king, would have this unity, no longer to be seen as a Jew or seen as a Gentile, but now born again out of water and the spirit to be seen as a Christian. To be born in the family of God is to have the name of God, Christian. This was prophesied and it was fulfilled and they were first called Christians. In Ephesus. Christian is not something we give ourselves. Sadly, the world who has since created Christianity in their own image do such things as call themselves Christians when in fact they've never been born again, though they claim they have. You see, to be given the family name Christian comes from a divine power. It comes from God when you are born into his family. When you qualify to the conditions necessary that would be spoken of by the Gospel of John, chapter 1. When you qualify to the conditions and you accept Jesus as your Lord and Master, obeying his directives for one's salvation to be washed of sins, Acts twenty two sixteen, Calling on his name, for therein is the power to save your soul. Therein God gives you the name Christian, united as one people citizens of his kingdom, boundaries, grace, law, order, justice, peace, all that kind of wonderful thing, wonderful things. The Gentile had gone away. The foreigner, become the foreigner, gone far off. And God always wanted him to return, to come back to the fold, to be among the saved in the covenant of the law, which kept them safe, secure, nourished, provided for. God loves the Gentile. He does not approve or authorize their practice and their beliefs, but he loves the human soul in which he created in his image, which had a beginning point but will live on forever. It now has an eternal presence, you and I exist and hear this message, and we will live on forever past this vessel of flesh. We will either be in paradise or torment, and one day upon judgment in heaven or hell. We need to make the right decisions now, and it certainly has been blessed upon us through the free will agency of our minds to choose. Either I love God and will follow him, or I hate God and will seek to destroy him, which is an impossibility. Men who try to diminish, extinguish, neglect, reject, destroy the Bible have since passed on. Yet still the Bible remains in our hands. So a division to be united through the banner of the Christ the Messiah, the age, of course, we live in, the Messianic age, the dispensation of the Messianic age. 
We are to be good stewards of this age. It is the last age, the end days we now live in. It has been such since Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father. The last dispensation of time is here and now. There will no longer be any more to come when this all ends upon Judgment Day. Groundwork to what was taking place in the context and day of Christ walking this earth through the vessel Jesus, a man among us. Let me put some scripture on the screen here to help us. To help us govern our thoughts properly here. In Matthew 8, verses 11 and 12, it says, and I quote, Jesus speaking, in regards to the Jews and the Gentiles, I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is speaking of the foreigner, those who have gone afar off from east and west, the Gentile, the heathen, the pagan, the sinner. Reclining at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, forefathers of great honor and respect to the Jewish mind, born in the covenant of the Old Testament, to read, recite, memorize, teach, and preach, meditate, they know Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus is telling them, I say to you, Gentiles, heathens and pagans and sinners, will be reclining with your forefathers whom you idolize whom you honor and respect. But the sons of the kingdom, verse 12, the nation of Israel, the Hebrew house, will be cast out into the outer darkness. That is, of course, the realm of torment. In that place, the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, great lament, and hate, grinding the teeth in hate. Do you not know why? <laughs> Do you, there need not be a wonder as to why they crucified Jesus. The Jews crucified Jesus. One says, hold on there, the Romans did. Well, who brought Jesus to the hands of the unbeliever? If you go to Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit, through the vessels of the apostles, spoke to the people and said, you Jews brought Jesus, the Son of God, to be murdered by the hands of the godless, the Gentiles, the Romans, the Greeks, the pagans, the heathens. <clears throat> no wonder they crucified him. The Jews couldn't stand him. This is important information to the text we are going into regarding the prodigal son, so you need to stick with it. Matthew 11, Matthew, sorry, Matthew 8, verses 11 and 12. I say to you that many will come from east and west, the Gentiles, and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. The Gentile will be found <clears throat> in paradise, in heaven, one day. But the Jews, <clears throat> the house of Israel, no, they're going to be found in the realm of torment eternal hell. You need not wonder why they crucified him. Greatly offended they were. What do you mean? We are believers. We were born in the covenant of God's kingdom. We are the Jews. We have lineage to Abraham. How dare you say such a thing? Have you ever tried to tell a religious person who thinks himself or herself a Christian, that they aren't really Christians and they aren't really going to heaven, and you can prove it with the Bible and you try to lovingly show them that, they're either going to want to kill you, <laughs> persecute you, run you off, or break down, be pierced and challenged, and seek the truth in humble posture. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, right? Jesus wanted to take them under his wing but they rejected him. Another section of text here to the fact between the Gentile and the Jew is found in Luke chapter 18, 
verses 9 through 14, and I quote, And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. The Jews were self-righteous. Their leaders were self-righteous, pharisaical hypocrites. They trusted in themselves, not in God. They thought themselves to be righteous of their own accord, but they were egotistical maniacs. They were self-serving, unrighteous, pathological hypocrites. They would create law, bind law, and find others guilty of breaking a law they had created and bound, to which they would not bind themselves to themselves. I mean, they trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt, the faithful, the transparent, the innocent, the struggling soul who just wants to make it to heaven, who knows she knows she has sinned. She's seeking forgiveness. They would see these kinds, these bullies from their pulpits who seek preeminence, saw these kinds with contempt. They would lie about them, deceive many. Jesus says in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, two men, verse 10, went up into the temple to pray. They went to church. Two men went to church, one of them a Pharisee, a Jew, and the other a tax collector, a Gentile, a sinner. The Pharisee, the self-righteous hypocrite who seeks preeminence in the praise of men, the bully, <clears throat> who knows the law inside and out. He knows it from A to Z. He can speak the language in all its forms. He knows the grammar. He knows the context. He knows the Bible. Using it, of course, by twisting and manipulating, becoming a gatekeeper. This Pharisee stands and was praying this to himself in the church. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector that was standing next to him. He says, I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Hmm. But the tax collector, the sinner, standing some distance away in verse 13, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. He's not worthy. He doesn't deserve it. He's broken. He's humble. He's seeking redemption. He's seeking hope and purpose. He's seeking forgiveness. How can he look at God? How can he even feel comfortable to come close? He needs mercy. So he beats his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Be merciful to me, the sinner. Don't you see the dynamic difference between these two and the great chasm that separates them? The Pharisee is a self-righteous hypocrite, a gatekeeper to the Bible, holding the key in his hand keeping the truth away from others because he thinks himself the one in which can only produce the proper interpretation. He wants you to go to him and not the Bible. He wants you to go to him. The other is just like you and I. Humble and broken, seeking forgiveness. Seeking mercy from God. Verse 14, Jesus says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. The Gentile, the broken sinner seeking mercy, was justified. The other, 
not so much. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. Important building blocks necessary to the foundation of our sermon and study and context getting into the prodigal son. Are you with me? Still here? Are we learning? This great separation, God has always wanted the Gentile to come within his covenant. And because the Gentile has been burdened by such sinful beliefs and practices, sinful activity, he finds himself bowed in desperation, starving for mercy, forgiveness. The self-righteous hypocrite, the pharisaical diatrophic bully, seeks but his own preeminence among his own kind. You either become a puppet of his or he'll run you out of the church. He's a cancer. He's a contaminant. He's poisonous. And he masquerades as an angel of light. Oh, he knows the Bible. And he'll charm you with his teaching. But he's a nefarious, treacherous, deceitful liar. And who can ever find redemptive quality in such an individual. Jesus couldn't. That's why Jesus told them time and time again, woe to you, Pharisees, you hypocrites. Jesus wanted them to humble their hearts and repent and become his children, his followers. They didn't want it. They weren't going to want it. They didn't need it. They didn't want none of it. They murdered him. But the Gentile, cumbered in great weight with sin, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, abortion, heathenistic worldviews and beliefs that are pagan and the division, the chaos, the death, the pain, the sorrow that sin brings upon their mind and the alienation they've found and separation they've seen in their lives as foreigners, as those afar off, they want to return. They want to come back to God. We've done the whole sin show. It ain't, it ain't as entertaining as we thought it would be. We're lost. We need God. Please forgive us. We've sinned against you. We've done a great sin. And we've been lost for so long in the dark. Please, Lord, have mercy on our souls. Guide us to the truth. Guide us to your Son. These Pharisees weren't going to do that. These lawyers, these Sadducees, these religious leaders of the day. And I assure you as we speak this hour, these self-righteous Pharisees are in the church, in the local assembly as we speak. And they take dominance and preeminence behind the pulpit. They become our elders. They become our teachers and preachers. They manipulate themselves into power and corruption and find you, the faithful, guilty of everything they are practicing. It's important information. We're getting into Luke chapter 15 now. You're going to see how this makes a whole bunch of sense. It's going to wrap up in a very nice gift. The Bible is smart. It'll make us smart if we read it, study it, investigate it, believe it, practice it. Let me put the text here on the screen. Luke chapter 15. There we go. I'm going to put my camera feed at the bottom left as usual. There we go. All right. It begins chapter 15, verse 1. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. See how this is already rightly handled with the verses we first established before getting into this chapter? Tax collector. Sinners, Pharisees, religious leaders. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him, the Gentile mind. 
Verse 2, uh-oh, the Jew. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. <laughs> Unreal. Surreal. How these people should have been the love and compassion to warmly welcome the sinner into repentance. But no, they shut the door, don't they? They shut the door. So because Jesus recognizes this and understands the inner depth of their hearts and minds because they've revealed it through their words, through their fruits and what they produce, Jesus has something to say and he's going to speak a parable. What man among you, he says in verse 4, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? That's a pretty deep question to ask. When he has found it, verse 5, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, ownership, provision, security. He is taking care of the sheep. He has found the sheep that was lost. The Gentiles went away and they want to return. The Jews remain, remained but became corrupt. And when he comes home, verse 6, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. It's precious. It's important to him. And it's time for celebration because that which was lost is now found and can be returned within the confines, the, uh, the boundaries of safety and security, nourishment, provision, love, compassion, grace, mercy, faith. I tell you that in the same way, verse 7, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The self-righteous hypocrites, the diatrophic bullies, the egotistical maniacs, the hypocrites, Oh, they've got their reward now. They're, they're receiving the praise of men. But the sinner begging mercy, seeking forgiveness, found once again to be returned to the fold is indeed a joyful, a joyful moment to experience. And what is it to the Jew? You were born in the covenant of God. You've been blessed with the law. You have all spiritual blessings, provision, security, ancestry, land. What are you so bitter about? Why are you so held in contempt against the Gentile who wants to repent and follow God? He wants to return to the fold because all souls at conception are created in God's image, belonging to Him. And they belong to Him until they reach the age of independent accountability to which of their own free will choose to sin and separate themselves from God. And they go afar off as foreigners. And some want to return to God. They want to crawl out of that dark, deep pit of sin out of that pit into the light I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance what does the scripture say about those who owe much and those who owe little who do you think will be more thankful to the one who releases us from the debt if we owe more that's right, you get it. The Gentile. Oh, you're going to love this. Keep, keep listening. This is the Bible. The lost coin parable. Or what woman, 
if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. Ask, seek, knock, sweep, search, find. Great effort, great effort and sacrifice. Lighting a lamp takes financial sacrifice. One's efforts to illuminate a path in order to labor for the lost, to find what was once within the fold. A child is born belonging to God. Don't let false teachers teach you that a child is born wicked and depraved and filled with sin and guilty of sin. Don't let those snakes get into your mind. They're liars. Jesus loves little babies. Jesus loves children. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Leave them alone. The kingdom belongs to them. But they grow up, don't they? We grow up and we choose of our own independent accountability. Free will thinking thoughts. We choose to go and sin and separate ourselves from God. God says, return to me. The Gentile wants to return. He's been hurt by sin. He wants to return. The Jew finds, the Jew finds himself in contempt of these individuals. No. We don't want him here. When she has found it, verse 9, she calls together her friends and neighbors, a celebration, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. It's precious. It's precious and is now returned to the wallet, <laughs> to the location of safety and security. In the same way, here again, verse 10 and verse 7, similar in nature. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels, the messengers of our great I am, over one sinner who repents. And now uh, we enter the prodigal son. The prodigal son. The improvident repentant. The improvident repentant. And he says, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, two sons, the younger son says to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. I want my inheritance. I want my portion of your wealth that was to be given to me. So the father divides his wealth between those two sons. The, old, uh, the, the firstborn and the younger brother. The Jew and the Gentile. Oh, you, you got to love this. And not many days later, verse 13, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. Those who are afar off the foreigner, they've gone afar off, the foreigner, the Gentile, and there he squandered, wasted his estate with loose living, riotous living, lascivious living. He squandered it. He wasted all his wealth that he should have invested and quadrupled for his father to inherit such a blessing and not take responsibility, he has no integrity. He has no good stewardship. He's not thinking of the future for his father, for his well-being spiritually, physically. You know how the Gentile thinks. Party today, because tomorrow we die. You only have one life to live, so let's live it up. You see that everywhere today. The entertainment business thrives on it. Movies, music, sports. All of it. 
is corrupt and promotes this squandering and loose living. No foresight for tomorrow. We'll worry about tomorrow when tomorrow comes, if ever it comes. Today, let's spend it all. <laughs> Gotta pay the rent at the end of the month. I'll worry about that at the end of the month. Today, we're getting drunk and we're getting women and we're having fun. Now, when he had spent everything, verse 14, a period of time has taken place here because sin's fun at the first touch. Oh, it's desirable. The curious mind wants to know all about sin. Well, that was fun. Sin's fun. Fornicating, adultery. That's fun. Drunkenness, substance abuse, greed. It's fun. Well, give it enough time, buddy. You give that enough time in your life. You start seeing the fruits of sin. He spent everything, verse 14, and a severe famine occurred in that country. Uh-oh. I spent all my money. I got no more money to buy food. And all of a sudden, food ain't to be found nowhere. That ain't good. So he began to be impoverished. This younger brother who had gone away from the location of provision, safety, security, spiritual blessing. He went afar off. He became a foreigner. Now he's impoverished. No longer in royal garments. No longer in the land of lush greenery. No longer to be found dining at the table with all sorts of nourishment, servants, family, love. No, no, no. He's desperate, he's broken, he's starving. Sin's fruits are bearing. Oh, the wages of sin is death. He's receiving his paycheck now. He's been working for sin. Now it's time to pay the piper, as they so say. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. Verse 15. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. He's with the swine. He's among the swine. He's impoverished. He's starving. No more pride. Oh, no, pride is gone. The pride of life, it's gone. He's in the mud. He's with the swine. Is he going to run off the hill and drown along with him? Oh, see what I did there? And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating in verse 16. That's how desperate, broken, that he finds himself. And no one was giving him anything. Giving nothing to him. You're not important anymore. You got no more money. You think the prostitutes and the friends you purchase with that cash, with that extravagant living, for a brief time, that loose living, you thought they were going to stick around and say, well, since you're broke now, we'll take care of you. We'll bring you into our houses and we'll give you food. Not at all. They're fake. You purchased fake things, fake people in a fake world with what should have been invested, what, what, what should have been honored. But when he came to his senses, verse 17, when he repented, when he repented. Now, I mean, it, I can understand this because this applies to me in my life so closely. So I get these words very closely. Wisdom comes through pain in life. And when you've experienced pain, you've grown in wisdom. And certain verses in the Bible 
begin to speak to you more loudly and you understand them more accurately. It's like reading about changing an engine on a vehicle. You can read all about it. You know the law inside and out. You know every, every single piece and every single tool that is necessary to change the engine in a vehicle. Oh, you know it from A to Z. But until you've actually done the work, experienced the pain and the strategy and the necessity of labor, once you've actually gone through that, well, the wisdom is not so deeply understood with the verse, with the book. The book is more than words on a page. The book lives. It's alive. So when he came to his senses, now he's experienced being impoverished, starving, broken, shamed among the swine. He says to himself, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here of hunger? Oh, the grass isn't greener anymore, is it? Oh, no, 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 no. Even if I was to sweep the floors in the washroom for my father, I'd have enough food to eat. But here I am among the swine, starving, shamed, broken, dying. Now he wants to produce fruits of repentance. See, repentance here, he changes his mind. And the reasoning in his mind that has changed is that he's come to allow himself to know that with his father he'll be taken care of and that he has sinned a great sin against his father, against his people, against the church. I will get up and go to my father, producing fruits of repentance now. Because it's one thing to change your mind, which is repentance, but it's quite another to act upon what has changed in your mind. That's why John said you must produce fruits of repentance when he was rebuking the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 3. And so he says, I will get up and go to my father. And I will say to him, See, he gets up, he goes, and he wants to say something to his father, and he's already running it through his mind, what he will say to his father. He will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I've sinned. I am found lost and damned. I belonged to you. I was secure with you. But I chose to go afar off and become a foreigner, a Gentile. When I should have remained in the covenant I was born into, I should have remained with God, and I didn't. I want to come back home now. I've done wrong. I've experienced everything this sinful world had to experience, and it's given me nothing but death and starvation. Starvation and death. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I've, I've severed that, that, what do you call it now? Um, oh, come on. There's a word at the tip of my brain cell. Uh, I've severed my privilege. There we go. To be called a son. I've detached myself from the location of privilege. I just want to work for you. Let me sweep the floors in the washroom. Let me open the doors for the for guests. Give me the most lowly, give me the, the bottom job. I'll do it. I'll do it with gladness and I'll be so thankful that you've allowed me to be hired. I just need bread. That's all. I don't need much. I don't need private jets. I don't need boats. I don't need all the toys this world has to offer. I don't need everything. I don't need all the jewelry, all the fancy clothes, all the, the biggest. I don't. I just want bread. And I know you have the bread of life. Let me open the doors for people. Let me sweep the floors. 
I want to come back. I want to be with you again. So he acted upon his repentance. He got up and came to his father. And this good, come on. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. What? No bitterness, no making him feel guilty, no, don't you know the damage you've done to this family? Don't you know the hurt you've caused us? Look at you. I told you you'd ruin your life. Look at you. You failure. That's right. You come begging back. You're lucky I'm allowing you in here. Was that, was that the attitude, the behavior in the heart of the father? Nah, look at that. He was waiting for him. He had been waiting for him. He had been waiting for him. He had been praying for him. He just couldn't wait to embrace him and kiss him. He's his son. He's his son. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. A great sin against my brother, against you, father, against the church. I had sided with the world and its corruption. I had sided with all that is evil and I lost everything and I've been humbled. I exalted myself and now I've been humbled and I thank God for disciplining me. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I don't deserve that privilege. I don't deserve that title. I'm not worthy of it for the wrong I have done. I've beat my chest, oh Father God. I can't even look in the heavens. Have mercy on me, a sinner. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. He is royalty. He is a holy nation. He is a royal priesthood. He is a saint. He is a Christian. He is a faithful follower. He is now privileged to all spiritual blessings. He is being renewed. It will be a long path to heal, but he's come back. The Gentile has repented and can sit and recline with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Father says, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. Time to feast, time to nourish, to bring back to health our son, For his son, for this son, the younger brother of mine, he says, was dead and has come back to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. They began to celebrate. Now his older son, the Jew, was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. What's going on here? He wasn't there. When his younger brother arrived and his father warmly embraced him back. And so he's late to the he's late to the account here, and he's like, What's going on? And so he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. Why not go directly to his father and see? No, he wants a servant's ear. What's going on? What's taking place? Here And the servant says to this older brother, your younger brother has come and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But his older brother became angry and was not willing to go in bitter, spiteful, vindictive, treacherous, filled with contempt. His father came out and began pleading with him, his older son. But this older son says to his father, Look, for so many years, okay, I've, I've been serving you. And I've never neglected a commandment of yours. 
and, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I may celebrate with my friends. Don't you think there's a bit of Cain in the older brother? A bit of jealousy for his younger brother? But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him? His mind's perverted. His mind's corrupt. His heart's darkened. He's not thinking of the repentance and that his brother has come a long way from the sins he once lived in. He's jealous and still wants to find him guilty of all these sins. How dare you facilitate and embolden his sins by giving him all these blessings? The older son's corrupt. The Jew didn't want the Gentile in the fold. The Jew got so angry they murdered Jesus because Jesus said the Gentile is going to recline at the table. They're going to repent and return. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Right? How Jesus wanted to take them under his wings, nourish them, take care of them, love them, forgive them. They rejected him. And he said to him, Son, the father speaks to the oldest son now. says, Son, you have always been with me. You were born into the covenant of the Hebrew house. You had the law. And all that is mine is yours. Is that not enough? What more would you seek? Adam and Eve had everything imaginable. They had paradise on earth. They had peace work. They had companionship. They had everything at their hands. What more do you need? What more do you want? Well, they went to the location where the snake was found. And they did what they were not supposed to do. Why did you do that? The father says, but we had to celebrate and rejoice. We had to. For this brother of yours, your younger brother was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Dude. Do you not understand that? Do you not understand that? He was lost, but now he's found. Are you listening? Are you paying attention? When I was, I think, 16, I went away. From the church hated the church hated christianity couldn't stand it anymore went away from it stayed away for decades living a riotous life living the way of the pagan the heathen extremes all of it everything whatever you can imagine that's what it is came back came back you can do it too. The Gentile way, man, it don't pay much. It'll have us impoverished, starving, rolling around with the swine. Gotta come back. Gotta come back. Gotta come back to life. And God is always there waiting for us. He's waiting for us. He'll embrace us immediately. There's no gatekeepers. We confess our sins. We seek employment as legal citizens of his kingdom. He'll embrace us and welcome us. He'll celebrate. There ain't nothing out there, man, I'm telling you. Fornication, adultery, homosexuality, abortion, lying, gossip. All of that, man, it ain't, it ain't what it portrays itself to be. It'll murder us. That's the paycheck. Let it go. Humble your heart. Soften your thoughts. Return back to God. 
Do what's right. Remove the manipulator. Renew, remove the oppressor. Remove the deceiver. Kick him out. He breaks up families. He divides congregations. He's a self-righteous, pharisaical, egotistical maniac. And he masquerades as an angel of light. Kick him out. Don't follow him anymore. Come back. Come back to the family. See how that works? <sighs> if only. If only most would. Most won't. Most won't. How precious to God those who return. If you've gone away from the church, you need to return. Don't break the family. I've, I've seen the damage of breaking a family. Having my mom and dad pray every day thinking I was going to die or be put in jail. I was a successful organized criminal figure, a chief in my locale. I had people under me. I've had friends die, shot dead, attempted murders. Don't allow the bully to get into your mind. Get rid of him. Come back to the church. Repent. Return. <laughs> Tomorrow's not promised, man. We gotta leave this place. We gotta leave this place, man. It ain't forever. It's but a vapor. We gotta go. Why not go in Christ? Why not live in the freedom of our Lord and Master? <laughs> Look around, man. There ain't nothing in the world worth your soul. Come back. Come back. The improvident repentant. Start seeing the future with Christ. <laughs> Stefan Maya is my name. AddedSouls.com is the website. This is the Early Bird Podcast Sessions. We go live from Monday to Friday, 8 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time. The itinerary is as follows. On Monday, I share the sermon I preached on Sunday. On Tuesdays, we analyze the lyric. We take a song from the world, look at its lyrics, and investigate it, speak about it. On Wednesdays, we have a Bible study. We've been going through the book of Genesis. On Thursdays, we have a topical trip. We discuss a specific topic. On Fridays, we have the socio-political discussion, interaction with political affairs and current events. If you think that's something that you would like to tune into, please follow, please subscribe, like, share, rumble, whatever you got to do, man, do it. And let people know that this information is out there for them and that there is love and that there is truth. And it certainly sets us free. If you'd like to support this work, because this is what pays the bills. And um, if you'd like to keep this work going and the Added Souls studio and ministry uh, to grow stronger and further, um, please do so. You can sign up to addedsouls.locals.com and you can choose to support there uh, as much as you are willing and able to support monthly. You can also send a donation through PayPal. My email address is addedsouls at gmail.com. That's in the show notes. And if you'd like to have an address, you can email me and I'll give you the address. This, of course, speaking to Christians, those of you who understand what's taking place and uh, understand the language and would like to see this grow further and farther uh, through the Maya family. You are appreciated. You are loved. You have purpose. You are not alone. I'm here with you and I'm fighting along with you to do what's right, do what's good. Um, <clears throat> I'm transparent, sometimes too vulnerable, wearing my emotions too closely to the sleeves, but I'd much rather be that way and remain humble and uh, then, then become the very things that Jesus rebuked in these uh, hypocrites, these self-righteous Pharisees. Okay, Lord willing, tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time, we'll be back here running.
Good stuff. God bless. <laughs>